You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter and we think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. Um, okay, we are ready to jump into Jonah. Do we feel ready? Yeah. Okay. Um, Jonah, we are in this book. It is a bizarre book. Does anyone remember what genre of writing this is? I'll give you a clue. It starts with S, rhymes with flat tire. Uh, Satire. We are, we're in a satire-themed book in the Bible. In the Bible, there's poetry, there's letters, there's genealogies, there's all sorts of types of literature. Jonah is a book of satire. And the point of satire is to take some of these, uh, if, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you, you hopefully will, this won't be too much of a shock or you'll remember it. Um, the point of satire is to take some generic stock type characters in this case, a really uh, kind of dodgy prophet who's not spectacular and a really evil city headed up by a really evil king and ask them to do a bizarre situation. In this instance, it's ask that dodgy prophet to go to that evil city and tell them that God is there. And in that we're supposed to look and say, okay, what happens in this situation? What goes wrong? What, what are the plot thickeners that take place? And the whole thing is supposed to be a mirror that we look at, a mirror that holds up to us something about ourselves. And so as we go through this series in the next slide, you'll see there's four different uh, existential cries that I think are in Jonah, that can help us in the modern world. This ancient literature, I think, has so much wisdom for us. So last time, we asked the question, what happens when God loves our enemies? What, what, like, what does that do for us when God loves the people who have hurt us? How, how do we sit in that? How do we emotionally navigate that? How do we, do we, should we, are we supposed to get to the space where we say that's a good thing? Like there's so much in that, that we need to sit in and recognize an existential cry of the heart. Tonight, uh, we're looking at this concept of running from God. And I dare say most of us at some point in our lives have experienced what it is like to, to run, maybe walk, dawdle, whatever, in the opposite direction to God. What does that mean? Um, and, and we're going to unpack that. And you'll see over the next couple of weeks, we've, we've got some other themes that I want to unpack from this story because it's so rich. It's, it really is a rich book. So um, let's dive into Jonah a little bit. The next slide. Cute book, hey. Do you want to see the next one? And the next one? And the next one. Um, Jonah is about a man who gets eaten by a fish. True or false? It happened. Yep. Um, it's kind of a trick question. If you, if you look at those book covers, the answer is obviously yes. 
Um, it is a story about a, a, a man who gets swallowed by a fish. There's, uh, the, the fish gets mentioned twice in the book of Jonah. There's really only one verse that speaks about the fish, and then it becomes this scene for the whole third chapter. Um, but the fish is in the background. We're not supposed to remember the fish. It's kind of a, a plot device that happens in the, in the background of the story. Um, Jonah is not just a story about a fish. I want to I want to reiterate that uh, Jonah is a story about so much more, and for many of us, this is probably our first time coming back to the book of Jonah as an adult. Many of us would have read it as children, or watched veg- Veggie Tales, or read books like this if you grew up there in the church. And so, coming back to it as an adult can feel a little bit disorienting. I found as I was rereading this, um, it feels like a story that is urgent. It feels like a story that is punchy and it feels like something that actually destabilizes me a little bit. And I'll explain a little bit more about why I found that as we go through. Um, Next couple of slides. I think the next one's blank, but the next one, this is the ancient world um, in huge amount of detail. Um, Jerusalem is kind of up above Joppa a little bit uh, and In this story, it begins in chapter 1, verse 1, with the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. There's Nineveh to the right. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So... Here's the, here's the plot as it stands, as of the, the opening sentence. Jonah has been asked to go to Nineveh. Now, last time I laid out a bit of the nature of what that means. We spoke about the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire has come and obliterated Judah. Israel is falling The whole nation has been destroyed. The temple overrun. Assyria has come in, weaponized themselves against the people. Uh, They have flayed, torn the skin off a whole group of the Israelite men, women, and children. They have locked them in a siege and starved them to death. This This is how the Assyrian Empire works. Uh, and the Assyrian king is boasting about it and is, uh, is consistently taking over more and more. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. So that's where the king sits. And so Jonah is being asked to go to the mortal enemies of his people. Next slide. That's, that's where Jonah is being asked to go. He, he is being called on this mission. And in the first chapter, we're not told why Jonah runs away. We're just told, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Tartessos over there is what we think was where Tarshish sits. Um, So next slide. This is the furthest you could possibly go in the ancient world. 
This was what was known to Israel at the time. This is as far as you could head if you wanted to flee from He could have gone, you know, tottled on down to Joppa and just been there quite comfortably. Um, but instead, he went to the absolute ends of the earth to get away from this mission that God has called him to. Yeah? God sends a great wind on the sea in verse 4 of chapter 1. A violent storm arises such that the ship is threatening to break up. All the sailors are afraid. They cry out to their own God. They throw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Jonah had gone below deck and he is asleep. And if we go down a little bit further, the sailors wake him up. Tell us. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where are you? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? So Jonah has fled from the God of his people. He wakes up and he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. And who is this Lord that Jonah worships? Who is the Lord that Jonah says, I follow Yahweh, the God of Israel. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a good Hebrew. I'm a prophet of a Hebrew. The God that I serve is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. In verse 9, I read that. I'm like, Jonah, come on, buddy. You're the one saying God made the sea and the dry land. Did you really think you could outrun God? Did you really think that you could run far enough to get away from Yahweh? Did you really think that you could disappear into the abyss and God would lose you from your own lips This is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Um, I want to nerd out just for a moment and then dive into some of the more emotionally heavy stuff that that I think is within this passage. Um, uh, There's there's some beautiful stuff within the book of Jonah that we get missed, that it gets missed in English. um, And to show you just how much of a nerd I am. This was the first book that I got to translate from Hebrew into English. I've forgotten all of it, uh, so don't ask me anything, but I did it once upon a time. Um, and in this, the, you know, the words, they often sound the same. There's lots of rhyming, there's lots of patterns. It's really quite beautiful. But one of the words that keeps coming up or frames is up and down right through the book of Jonah, this concept of going up or going down. And within the book of Jonah, right from here through to the end, going up is tied with moving towards God and going down is the idea of moving away from God. That's just how the the author frames it. So if we start from the very first sentence, uh, the word of the Lord came down to Jonah. So Jonah discovers this word. Then the Lord says, go up is there, to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So like right throughout. Uh, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Actually, this should be up there as well. I think it's in there. Um, Next couple of slides, the passage should be somewhere in there. Um, uh, And he boarded a ship bound for Joppa, After paying the fee, he went aboard, sailed for Tarshish, 
Um, and on the boat, he goes down into the belly of the boat. Uh, the Lord sends a great wind. Um, I'm just scanning my eyes down it. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay and fell into a deep sleep. The, uh, the sailors say to him, how can you sleep? Get up, rise, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. Um, and then it ends with Jonah being thrown into the water and going down and down and down and down and down. So and that, that's just a fun little fact about Jonah. But I think it's helpful to see the frame that's being positioned for us, even within the language of the book of Jonah. The frame is, uh, is, is Jonah moving up towards God or is Jonah moving down away from God? The same happens with the king of Nineveh. Is the king of Nineveh going to stand up and call on a fast or is he going to stay seated? Uh, this frame, I think, can be really helpful for us as we start to think about what it means to be in relation to God in some way. Um, I remember uh, back when I was maybe 17, I was going through the phase, as, as many people in this space have experienced, of discovering queerness within myself. I was a very perfect Christian boy leading Sunday school. I was involved in my church and loved it. Um, still have a great love for the, the people of that church. But at some point I realized that I was not in the fold that I needed to be in, in order to call myself a good Christian. And it was devastating for me. Um, and I remember walking home from church one night after years now of grappling with this, uh, and pardon my French, but I want to retell what happened. Uh, I turned around to God as I walked down Emma Parade in Winmalee and I said, God, fuck off. I want nothing to do with you. I'm done. And after that, I burst into tears as I walked home from church that night because it struck me, I wanted nothing to do with that God. I wanted nothing to do with the God that had not embraced me. I wanted to run, flee for my life away from a God who I saw at that point as entirely harmful. And so naturally, uh, fuck off God. Like you, you have no say in how I run my life at this point. I have a hunch that often we read the book of Jonah and, um, and we're really harsh on Jonah. We're, like we're, and, and it's written in a way that we're supposed to be in some senses. He's, he's framed as a bit of a fool. Um, he's not particularly wise throughout the story. He, he makes blunders. Um, but at this point, we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, I can very much understand why Jonah would be saying, no, I, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I, I will not go to my mortal enemies. It's dangerous for me. But more so, we read at the very end of Jonah in chapter four, why Jonah refused to go to, to Nineveh. Uh, we read in chapter four, just pulling it up on my phone. 
uh, the reason that Jonah fled in the first place. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you, God, are gracious. I knew that you are compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Because lo and behold, Jonah does eventually get to Nineveh and he proclaims that Nineveh is going to fall and God in God's wisdom sees Nineveh turn and repent and proclaim a fast across the city. And the Ninevites start to embrace God's way of doing things. And that pisses Jonah off. And I get that. I get that. And I can think of so many reasons why one might run away from God that are, in my mind, and maybe I'm a heretic for saying this, but we're all thinking it, there are some very good reasons to run away from God. Uh, As I was thinking about it just this week, for Jonah, it seems very unfair that after all the trauma that Jonah went through, after all the trauma that his people went through, it seemed very unfair that God would forgive the people who had destroyed his people. That's like, that's unfair. I can see why Jonah would be upset. There are times when we feel like God is not benevolent, when God is not good. And for me, as I sat with this idea that God would judge me for my queerness, I had to run away from that God for my own safety, for my own mental health. I had to abandon that God. Now, it took years for me to turn around and see a different way of being. But I had to tell that God at that point, go away. You're not safe. And there are depictions of God within church world that are not safe. And we have to run from them. And that is healthy. And then there's going to be, within our world, plenty of times when God's way does not fit with the way that somebody wants to do life. An example might be when God says, be generous with your riches, give it away, give to the poor. And a person does not see the world that way. They are comfortable with their wealth. They want to store it. They want to hoard it. They want to feel like they have control and money helps them feel in control. And God says, actually, no, that money is not going to make you safe and secure. I'm going to make you safe and secure. But for that person, the money is what is enabling them to feel like they can just navigate the world, get up in the morning. And so, of course, for that person, they're going to say, actually, God, I'm going to run the other direction and I'm going to rake in the money and I'm going to be greedy. And so that person is going to struggle. I, I guess what I want to flesh out when I'm saying this is that we've, we've all been there. We've all done it. 
and we've tried to avoid God. Psalm 139. Many of you will know this. You've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Mm. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. There is something remarkably comforting about the idea that you cannot outrun God. Some might feel it like a cage. Some might feel it like a trap. But for me, as I sit with this, there is something fundamentally liberating about this knowledge. There is nothing that I have ever done that can separate me from the love of God, even though God knows everything that I have ever done. And the same is true in the opposite direction of time. There is nothing that I will ever do that will have the capacity to separate me from the love of God. And when I think about this in the context of the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in Luke 15, many of you will know this story. The son runs away from the father. The father is the the God figure in this story. And he squanders his wealth. The word word prodigal literally means squandering of wealth. They, they, They ruin the inheritance that the father gives them. They get to the point where they're in the pigsty and they realize I should go back and just be a slave for my dad. 
They return, and as they return, off in the distance, the father sees the son, and he hoinks up his clothes, and he runs. And he runs down, and he meets his child. And as we run from God, there is something liberating and deeply refreshing about the fact that as, as we sprint in the opposite direction, God is not phased. God is waiting and he's prepared. God is not taken aback by your running. God is not shocked, but God's ready. And very rarely will it take a big fish to retrack that path. More often for me, it has been somebody gently tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, I think, I think there's a better way to do this that perhaps is more in line with, with God's heart. Sometimes it has been a mentor, somebody that I trust saying, Joel, uh, you, you need to pull your head in a little bit with this one. Sometimes it has been a loved one. Sometimes it has been Thomas saying, you need to fix up this action. Sometimes it's been my parents saying, Joe, you need to apologize for what you've done. And all of those things are good, healthy ways of people saying, there's a better way to live. There's a more fulfilling way to exist in the world. There's a more beautiful way to embrace people and bring them in and be a healthy, healing person. And I think as I ran from God, there were so many times that I look back on that and I see God's hand holding me. This is my experience. Um, as, as I said, F you God, on that night, I have such a clear, vivid memory of pulling just like the church pamphlet out of my pocket and reading the verse at the bottom of it. And it was Hebrews 12, 2, which hit me like a ton of bricks. And it just said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And the reason that hit me was because I realized that I had been looking at this God who I thought was malevolent, dangerous, and harmful. And I had stopped looking at the true image of God. I, I'd taken my eyes off Jesus altogether. And I'd fallen into the trap of believing this type of God that other people were preaching. And I'd fallen into the belief, that, the wrong belief, that that was who God was. And for me, as I just reshifted my mind toward Jesus, life didn't get better, but... I could approach God in a different way. And then it was a long journey. It was years, as I said, of relearning that God was safe, of relearning that I could trust and be in God's presence and relax. And one day I discovered that I could even worship this God, which was big for me. And one day I even discovered that I liked this God. Not just I was putting up with this God. Um, I actually wanted to be in this God's company. Um, and 
And even still today, there are times when I struggle with the fact that God loves my enemies. I struggle with the fact that God forgives people who have hurt me and people that I love dearly. But I, I can't, at this point in my life, escape the fact that every time I turn back to God, God is there ready and God is waiting and God has a bigger embrace. For me, that's powerful. For me, that is one of the reasons why I keep turning back to God. If, uh, where are we at? If, if you're in this space um, and you feel like you're running from God, I kind of want to say join the club. You're in good company. <laughs> um, uh, if, if you are at a point where you want to stop running, the invitation's there. The invitation's there. And uh, running is exhausting. Adrian just ran City to Surf. Yeah. Um, running is tiring. Um, and when you're running from God, there is a lot of existential hurts involved in that. And the next chapter for you may not look easy. It, it doesn't necessarily look like just turning around and walking back to God. There's so much in that and there's so much healing that needs to take place. And my, my hope and prayer is that this space would be one in which you can turn to the person next to you and say, I've been running for a long time. One day I want to be ready or maybe I am ready to turn back and say, God, you have something good for my life. I, I want to find out what it is. And if the prophet Jonah, with all of his dodgy ways, can walk into a city like Nineveh and in the span of five words see a whole flood of righteousness come forth, a whole flood of forgiveness and joy and hope and new life. If someone like Jonah can pull that off, we're in good company. Um, we've got some good things that the future might have in store. That gets me excited as I walk back to God and discover where God is moving in the world. That's cool. Um, we, get to, we get to take communion together. Um, communion is uh, it's a symbol of uh, Jesus' sacrifice. That, that's what we talk about when it comes to the table. And for many different traditions, it means many different things. Uh, for me, as I come to the table, it's a reminder that I am welcome into the presence of the Most High God. I'm welcome to eat at the table and feast alongside Jesus. It's a symbol of forgiveness. It's a symbol of cleansing. It's a space where you can come and perhaps stop running, where you can approach God and say, I want to be whatever it looks like back with you, if that's where you're at.
um, uh, I am going to come to communion tonight for me as, where am I at? Um, I, I want to be in a space where I am open to, to discovering new things about who God is. That, that's where I'm at um, in, in my journey. And I want to bring that to the table tonight. Wherever you're at, you, you can bring whatever you're at at this table. Some of you may have been barred from the communion table before. That's not, that's not how we do it here. Um, you're welcome into this. Um, take the juice the bread, uh, and in your own time, eat um, and remember the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for all. And uh, after a little while, we're going to sing some songs together. Um, Singing can be complicated. I want to flag that. Um, If it's hard for you, there is no obligation at all to join in that time. Um, step outside or grab a cup of drink and just enjoy the nice piano playing. Um, Change the words if you need to. But this next little section is a time for you just to, wherever you're at, um, come back to God, whatever that looks like, if that's something that you want to do. I know even that phrase can be complicated. So this is your space, um, your space to use for the next little while. Enjoy. Enjoy.